we need to think of three intros. Yeah. And then an intro for the episode, which also we should plan right now. Say something funny, go. And this will be the intro for our episode. It's going to be another silent intro because I can't I can't be funny on, on a whim. Sorry, guys. This is what you get. Thank you. That was awesome. <laughs> hey there. I'm Jordan. And I'm Nick. We're just two regular guys who love talking about film. And now we'd like to talk to you. We decided to break down our discussions into three parts. Because everyone loves a gimmick. We discuss our expectations for a film before we watch it. That's take one. We give our immediate thoughts following the film. That's take two. And finally, we research the film at length to prepare for an informed and in-depth discussion. And that's take three. So if you love film even half as much as we do, join in on the conversation. This is take three, a movie podcast. Take one. Let me know when to clap. Clap for me. Everybody clap your hands. Clap. Clap. There was that club that we went to. They did the cha-cha slide. Yeah. But it was like customized. It like wasn't the regular. So he was, or what is it? Like one hop, one One hop hop this time. One hop, one hop. And then it would just keep doing it. We're like, okay. (laughs) I'm I'm standing there like, like hopping. Okay. So we went to this this bar uh, for one of our friend's birthdays and it was like a it was like country in one room and then hip-hop in another and then a live band in another so there was never really like a a way to get bored you just could bounce back and forth you know and i'm not a big country person but i felt like neither that was totally the one that i was enjoying myself in the most aside from the fact that i felt like every time that i would like oh i like this song i'd go out there there'd be 15 people doing like this choreographed line dance i've never heard of that's so i walk into this this like bar club place and i am immediately struck with like i don't fit in here I don't belong here. This is not for me. It's like everyone's in a cowboy boot. Everyone's in like a cowboy hat. It is so country and it is not someplace that I was ever, ever comfortable being in. But after like a drink or two, I saw these people line dancing to literally every song that came on. And it was fascinating. It was like getting jiggy with it and they're doing a line dance. I'm like, all right. it like, was so what was, wild. That was cool. But I, I mean, I like the fact that like it, there really was something for everyone. Because as you progress yeah. into the other rooms, you know, there was like a hip hop room where people were listening to, you know, like rap music and and hip hop and stuff. And then uh, mm. I, I really liked the band, band that was playing outside. Like, yeah, I, it was, that's a cool bar, and I forgot the name of it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're doing the village. Jeez! Wow. <laughs> Not wow. at all related. Oh, wow. How did we I don't I don't remember how we got this. Yeah, where I have um, no idea. I love this movie. I am so excited. This is one of my favorite movies of all time, and I know that I'm gonna be really emotional throughout. It's uh definitely slept on. I don't think a lot of people appreciate this movie as much as it deserves to be appreciated. I don't see how they possibly couldn't. It's in my eyes like legitimately perfect, but we'll see I, how you guys feel i think this will be your solo trying to convince people that this is actually a good movie uh i've seen it i think the ending was spoiled for me so i d- it didn't really quite have i think as big of an impact as maybe it had for you um but i enjoyed it i thought it was great and i don't know i don't understand why this is considered one of his worst 
Like people hate this movie. And I just don't understand why. Like I'm not sure I do either. The only reason I've ever heard is that it has something to do with the way the film was marketed. And we will definitely go into that in take three. I know that there are trailers that make this movie feel like it is a straight up horror movie. And it is not. It is a drama. It is a love story. It is a suspenseful movie. But, you know, that's not the main draw at all. And uh, I think maybe a lot of people were disappointed at that. Yeah. When I watched this movie, I didn't get the reveal either. My aunt told me what was actually going on so that I wouldn't be scared. Because this is the type of movie where if you know what's really going on, it's not as scary. How old were you when this came out? I was 12. Okay, that's reasonable. So, uh, you know, probably... just just kind of getting into horror movies, maybe a little bit still apprehensious. Is apprehensious a word? I don't know. Apprehensive. Uh, but it's going to be apprehensive. Look at you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So this movie came out in 2004. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, it's directed by M. Night Shyamalan. It stars Bryce Dallas Howard, Joaquin Phoenix, Sigourney Weaver, William Hurt. And it's about... I don't even want to tell you what it's about. If you have not seen it, we are Let's, going to spoil this movie, and it, you should never, ever, ever have this movie spoiled for you. Even though yeah. we did, like that is one of the greatest joys, like showing it to people and seeing their faces when they see like what's actually going on. It's a mind fuck. That's that's joy to my heart. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, don't, Do you don't have, let this get ruined for you. Don't let us ruin this. Yeah, we'll we'll, um, we'll wait for you to watch it before we talk about the twist. Um, but do you have your tissues ready? Oh my God. No, <laughs> I, I'm going to go get some toilet paper for my bathroom first. I, <laughs> I, I don't know why I can't watch this movie. We've watched it together multiple times. I can't watch this movie without crying. Like, like sobbing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a weird movie for you to get through. It's like a, like a, what is that word? Like Freudian response or something or like. Or then maybe that's not it. Maybe that's not what is the word? Pavlovian response. Pavlovian. Yep, yep. Pavlovian. Got it. But yeah, I'm I'm super stoked. And we we have something else for you before we get into take two. Oh, yes. Before we actually turn yes, this movie do. on too. Uh so yeah, we always encourage our listeners to reach out to us. Um if you're new, you can always reach out on our social media uh sites. Uh, we're on all major social media sites, Take3AMP, or you can email us at Take3AMP at gmail.com. Um, those are all the number three. Uh, and one of our more dedicated listeners, we we love this guy, his name is Joe, reached out to me and he, he really liked our previous episode, which was uh, Silence of the Lambs. And he wanted to share some of his insight and I kind of wanted to share it with with you guys. Um, he had a lot of really interesting and, and deep things to say and I, I it's very impressive. That. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so thank you, Joe, for reaching out. I'm just gonna go ahead and read it for you. He says uh, the main thing that you guys didn't touch on as much in the episode that I love about this movie is the differences of Buffalo Bill and Clarice. We can probably guess that Lecter knows Bill better than anyone, seeing as he was Lecter's patient, and he knows Clarice better than anyone, in the film at least. And he pits the two against each other in such a fascinating way, it's hard to describe. Think of it like this. 
Clarice is a woman in a man's world and is constantly being displayed as an example of how uncomfortable that is. Bill, on the other hand, is someone who covets that uncomfortableness and thinks that's where he belongs so much that he tries to become a woman, hoping that being a transsexual matches the uncomfortableness he has with himself. Lecter is guiding us through how you can be in this role and command yourself as righteous, Clarice, or you can be in this role and be sinister, Bill. Almost how two people can interpret a position of power as something to revere or to abuse, arguably Jack Crawford and Dr. Chilton. The latter is a common trope of storytelling, the good leader, the bad leader, but the former is so rarely told and so well at that, the good underdog versus the bad underdog. There's the journey of Clarice becoming a female investigator in a boys club. There's the murder case, and then there's Lecter, the puppet master. The first two are told a thousand times a year, but Lecter's part in this is what makes the movie amazing. What we are so subtly given is that he controls people in order to be what he wants, whether that's a god, a master, whatever. We know he had all the answers for Bill when he saw him as a patient, but he steered him toward his madness. We know he can control people from cell blocks away with MIGs, and he can control Clarice throughout the whole movie. Bill covets femaleness, Clarice covets men in power, Lecter covets the man who pulls the strings, the omnipotent omniscient overseer of what feels like a Greek tragedy. Clarice asks Lecter if she is worthy enough to question him. She does not prove her worth by asking the right questions or simply letting Lecter get in her head. The whole time he has chosen her because Jack Crawford could have sent a hundred cadets down there to Lecter, but in reality he found the Achilles of his story, the person who would make the most sense, the person who is the light antithesis of Bill's darkness really really well said joe like really amazing points yeah this is the reason that we made this podcast to be able to talk to people about these movies and have people i mean deliver that was beautiful that was really well said it really really was joe we've we've talked a lot about our podcast um he is one of our biggest supporters we definitely appreciate you joe um and thank you for sending that in that was amazing i I couldn't agree more yeah it was fantastic. Everything that was said. That Thank was you for sharing. Really well put. And if you haven't listened to that episode, you definitely should. That was probably, that's one of my favorite episodes and movies. Like that was just go listen to that episode if you haven't already. Episode 14. And go watch that movie. Silence of the yeah. Lambs. Yeah. And let that encourage you guys to send us your thoughts as well on movies that we're doing in the future because we would really like to have something like this you know each episode yeah Yeah. it doesn't have to necessarily be as elaborate don't let joe's very beautiful speech on silence of the lambs scare you we just (laughs) anybody that uh wants to talk to us we would love to talk about it on air so yes please let us do that and follow us definitely follow us on our social media stuff because we'll probably ask these sort of questions for future episodes yeah um and, and we'll make announcements on, you know, Facebook and Instagram probably. And those are all at take three AMP. And again, you can email us at take three AMP at gmail.com. Perfect. And without further ado, let's watch this damn movie. Take two. So do you ever have like, uh, movies or TV shows or anything, anything that even like anything, any form of media that like always, gets you to the point of crying every time you watch it. Do you have something like that? Yeah. I mean, there are scenes that bring me to tears. Every time? Yeah. um, None. I've I've never seen 
someone react to a movie like this. Yeah. I'm not exaggerating when I say it started two minutes in and did not stop for the entire movie. Yeah. We were in tears the whole movie. I, so no like, shame in that. I'm just saying like this, clearly this movie affects you in mm-hmm. such a very strong way. There are three scenes in friends, uh, the end of the, like the season finale or the series finale of breaking bad, two scenes in Buffy, the vampire slayer and one scene in saw three. And those can make me cry anytime, but not, like at very, very brief points throughout yeah. this. I, yeah, I was pretty much, uh, it's just like this overwhelming feeling of adoration for this movie. Like I don't, I just do not get how people don't love this. Like to, to say that this is not a masterpiece to not acknowledge that this is like this allegory for not being able to run from your problems and, and like the evils of the world. And it's like, there's so much to it. And it is one of those movies that you can watch over and over again and pick up things. That's what I was going to say. If, if you had not seen this movie, watched it in between take one and take two, uh, and are listening to this stop and go watch it again. Yeah. It's one of those movies that that needs to happen in order to really fully appreciate it. I think it's, it's been such a long time. I feel like I've only seen this movie once. I think you said in take one that, that we'd watched it together no, several yeah. times. I, I've, I showed it to you and then, Oh no, I feel like, okay, you were coming I and you were like driving and then in. I watched it and then you got here at the very end of it. Right. Yeah. I had only seen this movie once and there were things that I forgot and watching, like I knew, I knew the ending. I knew the the ending of this movie, but the first time that I saw it, I wasn't really looking at it from an analytical point of view and watching it from that way this time. I think I can understand why when this first came out, people were disappointed I think everyone went into this movie with M. Night-shaped glasses on. It set up this great twist. There are these mysterious creatures out in the woods. And and I think to find out what you find out, I can understand how it's a letdown. However, if you take off those glasses and and you look at this film in a different way, kind of separating M night, kind of separating the fact that, you know, there's going to be a twist at the end. This movie truly is a work of art. I think it is such a beautiful movie. Yeah. So beautiful. And when it comes to it being an M night movie, I know that I have heard people say that part of the reason that they don't like it. And I don't necessarily understand this, like, I don't understand why this would be a reason to dislike it, but it does stand out from the movies that he had made before this because in the first three movies he had done, The Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, and Signs, those are all movies that ask you to sort of believe in supernatural, you know, to to believe in something more than ourselves. And this is the one that says, no, like it winds up telling you that it's all fake. Like this is, it sort of extinguishes the flame that you might've had where, where you were expecting M night to always bring you to that level and, and make you believe in something that you didn't before, you know? So it is different, but 
I would, I just, I don't know. Like I can't, I can't wrap my head around holding someone's work against them uh, because you liked it so much. Like, like because it didn't, it maybe it didn't feel the same way that Sixth Sense or Unbreakable or Signs did. Like, like his movies, his good movies. I've always loved this. Is that I, they feel very different from one another while also being completely within his wheelhouse, his still style, having yeah. so many of his Shyamalan isms and, and all being so uh, like feeling like they were coming from like deep within him, even the bad ones, to be honest with you. I mean, like we'll talk more about this in take three, but he has some real clunkers. You know, this was like the beginning of the end for, or well, one of the ends for Shyamalan. Like he was really about to hit some, some landmines in his career, but he always puts such a, I don't know, his movies just have soul. I don't know how else to describe it, but it, there's just such emotion in them and subtlety. I don't even know. I, I'm like, I clearly, if, if you guys can hear what I sound like, I really, I really have been crying for the past hour and a half. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's my third favorite movie of all time. Uh, and it it provokes more emotion than any movie I've ever seen. Like, there have been movies that have made me like uncontrollably sob at the end of. But again, like I, I don't, I can't even, I don't even know anyone who is who is so moved by something like this. Like, that's the word. It's it's really cool. Like, it's it's. I'm I'm happy. I'm glad that it moves you this much. I'm like glad. I think as an art form, that's that's what art's supposed yeah. to do. It's supposed to make you feel something. I'm glad you're not bothered. <laughs> no, I mean the sniffling every you know, wow, thirty seconds kind of. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I was just thinking about. I was like, he's seeing this wonderful scene, like this wonderful Roger Deakins composed shot, right? And it, and then there's me in the corner. <laughs> crying with my like face is <laughs> blood red and I'm sniffling and like that's I, exactly what it was yeah and you're like very quietly like whispering the lines as they as they happen like <laughs> it's just it's pure it's pure adoration and I think if anyone who tells you that that's wrong is wrong and well thank you, you thank you I know you have um, every right to deserve this movie is or you have every right to enjoy this movie as much as you do well thank you I I know that um I always told you that like I actually like it when you quote, when you can quote the movie, like it, it makes you feel like when, like say like Cat in the Hat, like when we go through and watch oh Cat God. in the Hat and you can, you can quote every line to it. That makes me happy. Like, I think that's really fun to do. It's, it's, you know, it's not like I'm watching it for the first time. It's like a, I don't know, it's enjoyable. And like, but to me, I'm, I guess maybe like self-conscious. Like I don't, I like, I try not to quote movies like if I do know some of the words, I like I, I I don't know why, but it just makes me like nervous to try. And this movie, like me whispering them, is because I'm like trying to hold it in, you know. Like there are a lot of parts. I mean, this movie is the, like the fact that he wrote these lines. Like some of some some of these lines are like my favorite lines in any movie. I will go. I will go through them. I'll bring up several in take three, but. Just ever like everything that comes out of Ivy's mouth is just the best. I do want to. I do want to say, like definitively now, Bryce Dallas Howard is my favorite actress of all time. 
she this I this was I think probably her best role. And in my opinion. And my fourth favorite movie is The Help. And I think that's her other best <laughs> role. Like she's perfect yeah. in that too. And they're so different and she's got such range and she's so beautiful and it's just ah uh, and people sleep on her too. They don't give her enough credit either. And it's just mm-hmm. like I don't know. I'm going to cry again just thinking about her and thinking about this movie and thinking about like you when when Noah Adrian Brody walks in and you just he's like right up on him and you see a close up of Joaquin Phoenix's face and then you see a close up on Adrian Brody's face and then like you look down and he like falls out of frame and you don't see him. You don't see his face again until like you know that Ivy's on her way back. You do not see him, and it's just it, like just the like the thought that was put into it. Like every oh god, every every decision that M Night makes is blatant enough for me to notice. I think, and it makes me feel smart. <laughs> it's not like a lot of hidden stuff. Like there's there's some things that are pretty obvious, and it's like oh cool for sure. And I think in every M Night movie, there's a handful of themes and motifs and repetitions and stuff. I know we yeah. talked about reflection. That's, that's very, very prevalent in all of his yeah, movies. He loves but that I think shit. another, yeah, I think another element to his movies is color. And I think color, especially in the, uh, unbreakable, uh, trilogy, uh, color is very prominent. And then this one, it's sort of defined for us. And I think that's sort of clever. I think it's just fascinating. I think it's just so cool. Yeah. And, you're right. The the one that comes to my mind too is unbreakable. I think because the colors are so strikingly different. Mm-hmm. Uh, he definitely has a he has an affinity. I think for every aspect of storytelling, like he writes and creates stories that are his and his alone. And if they don't work and they don't satisfy you, I don't think he cares. Like he really just doesn't. I mean, clearly, like I will go on the record. I hated Glass. I absolutely hate The Happening. I hate After Earth. Uh, but this is one of my favorite movies. I, Unbreakable, Split, The uh, the Visit, uh, Sixth Sense. They're, I mean, Signs. They're like all wonderful films. Like he... Every single one of them, he just put like he he did. He just put forth everything he had. You know, oh, I don't even. Uh, I could be like talking in circles. No, I, I'm wondering if it's. Are you going to be okay for take three? Is this something? Yeah, probably do? not. No, I mean, okay. So I think it's watching the movie that's hard, and then like talking about it is also hard. Uh, and not like hard, like I don't enjoy it, but like, obviously I get emotional for it. Yeah. Like I really want to talk to my aunt to show me this movie movie for you. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I mean, it, it, that's so, what's so funny, right? Cause I'm so adverse spoilers. Like I am so like, I won't even let, like if, if I'm like sitting in a room with people and we're watching a television show, uh, I am that guy that's like, don't say anything. Don't theorize. Cause you could be right. And, and I, I can definitely say like, 
even though this movie I, I knew, I don't think I knew that it took place in modern day, but I did know that, that the creatures weren't real. And because I think that was how they got me to watch it. It was like, it, you know, by the end of it, they're not actual real creatures. It's just the people dressing up, you know. I think that's how she got me to not necessarily, like, panic. And even though I knew it, like, it does not it does not affect it at all. Like, I still feel like I'm experiencing finding that out every time I watch it. <laughs> it's just like, oh, my God. People are talking out, out of, like, on multiple levels they are they're talking uh, in, in movies where people keep secrets like this and it'd be so easy for you to just say one thing and mean exactly what you say and then maybe talk you know behind closed doors to somebody else and reveal but like everything these people say down to them describing how their loved one died like it suddenly has new meaning that like yeah. he died in and or like uh, he was on his way to the grocery store and he got thrown in the river and it's like it's and it's it's fascinating how he does it because there are stories scattered around this movie yeah and it it doesn't seem like a pattern until you know what that twist was and exactly and that's why I think it's so cool and important that you watch this movie several times because you, you see things that you didn't notice in the first in the first viewing and it just yeah. all kind of comes together in this really, really beautiful bow. It's just, it's, yeah. And I, you know, one thing I noticed this time that I don't think I had noticed before was um, right when they're talking, they're speaking to everybody saying that Lucius needs their prayers. You know, he's he's in bad shape. They cut to a shot of Ivy and in front of her, like blowing in the wind is a white flag. And it's like, okay, these people have this way of life. These people, these elders have this like game going, right? And they, they have this big charade going and they're about to surrender that for hopes of keeping it going. You know what I mean? Like, and it, it's all on Ivy and it just mm -hmm. felt like, to me, having seen this like 15,000 times, you know, just to be able to notice something like that on my 15,000th viewing, you know, like, I don't know. I just. So if you're watching this, if you're listening to take one, saw the movie and are now listening to take two, stop listening and go watch it 4,998 more times. And then yeah. listen. Yes. That's what we're saying. I got to say, uh, I would also love, I don't know, I don't want to put the negativity in my life, but like I also love to talk to someone who actually who thinks like that it. they have a valid reason that this isn't great. Like sure, it may not have been what it was advertised, uh, but it's, you know, the movie's 15 years old. Like, you know, it, I'm sorry that the trailer didn't work out. I'm sorry that, it, you know. <laughs> But I don't know. Like I, I genuinely cannot see how someone wouldn't love this movie. I, it honestly seemed to be one of those instances that people hated it, and hating it became popular, and therefore it just created this cycle of irrational negativity. And I definitely implore a lot of you to go. If you did maybe not enjoy this movie, go see it again and with, yeah. with different with different eyes. Uh, but I, I too am curious to hear about uh, the opinions of people who maybe didn't, were not as thrilled as, as you are.
You know what I was thinking just now, though? Hmm. You know, I, I still a- agree with myself uh, when I said that, you know, I don't understand how someone can like this. However, I did say to you during the movie that I feel like if this movie was made 15 years later, uh, that we would have probably l- lumped it in with movies that, even if they're not A24 films, like A24 styled films, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, it has a bit more, I don't know, uh, melodrama than I would expect from an A24 movie. But other than that, I feel like, you know, it, they're definitely tonal and uh, cinematography choices and blocking choices, which is like how you set up the actors and how they move throughout the scene and choices that reflected a modern day 24 movie. And those are so polarizing Mm -hmm. that you almost have to go in acknowledging that they are not for everyone. Mm -hmm. So maybe this movie isn't for everyone, but I think for me where I'm at right now is that I would just love to talk to somebody who is a contrarian to this, this adoration that I have because I just, I don't, again, I, I really, I, I don't see it yet. Don't give us the costumes were stupid. Don't, don't like, I'd love to hear what's the word I'm thinking of. Like, well, good stuff. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like well articulated arguments. Yeah. Against this movie. Don't be a dick about it <laughs> is what we're saying. I don't like, um, Moon Knight Shyamalan. Like, okay. No, I don't either right now, at least. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I'm I'm trying to think of the that actual M Night uh, twists that I've experienced organically. This is not one of them. Si- not signs. Sixth Sense was not one of them. Okay, we and talk even, about Split. Even Split wasn't one of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't understand it. Like I'm sure half the people who saw it didn't understand it and so we won't spoil split but and i you know what we may have talked about this but if, if you guys haven't listened to this or listened to another episode where we did i'm going to tell this story we were going to see split and at this that the end there is a twist in split uh it's more of like a reveal <laughs> and jordan did not get it and if you understand like if you know the twist then you can probably guess why he did not get it. And me and the guy beside me who, I don't know, I did not know, like literally like grabbed the Out the arm rails of yeah. each other, like prob- pretty much grabbed each other's hands. And I think I said like either like motherfucker or like Jesus fucking – like something I like exclaimed and so did he. And you were like, do not tell me. Do not like, tell me what's – you know. I figured you guys had found it out before I could. And I was yeah, like, yeah, I'm just yeah. like, wait, give me a second. Let me figure this out on my own. And then the credits started rolling and I'm like, uh, and all I right. think we had, we had frozen yogurt after that. And I was like, Hey, uh, we should watch more in that Shyamalan movies. <laughs> there are just other ones that I think you would like. Cause that I, one was so good. I, I really like split, um, glass, yes. not so much. Um, but but yeah, like there, I, the visit I loved. This one I love. Um, I think Glass is one of those ones, though, that is an example of him just doing what he thinks is correct. You know what I mean? Like doing not like clearly, uh, it's not viable. Like, like 
oh, we're going to have a big epic fight scene at the end. No, actually, we're not. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, you know, that was such an M. Night thing to do. It's such a gutsy move. And it, I don't think he cared that it <laughs> let it, like that it didn't wind up being this big superhero epic like maybe some people were expecting. Showdown. Yeah. yeah. Or that he promised in his movie. I don't know. No, I get yeah. it. I get it. Um, that That is a move that you do because you want to do it. Like, I'm sure he was well aware of that, but he yeah. felt, you're right. He felt it was correct. Um, but yeah, it's a different movie, different tangent. Um, well, did, you, did I ever told you, oh man, I might, I might should tell this. I'll tell this now just cause fuck it. it fuck waiting. I'll forget. So he was apparently like an, a, a newspaper article or a magazine article came out and he was like, or it, it said, if not Shyamalan, I see the next Spielberg and you know, and, like he was really, really, really big for his britches after this movie. And he got a bunch of notes on Lady in the Water. And Oof. he was like, uh, Disney, like, calm down. I know what I'm doing. I'm not taking your notes. I am M. Night Shyamalan. You know what I mean? I am M. Night Shyamalan. And I think that ruined his relationship with Disney and that movie bombed. So, well, well, so a bit of backstory. I don't know if you, I'm even familiar with this. Did he pitch it to Disney and Disney said, take these notes. And he said, no, thank you. So, uh, I think he had like a deal with Disney. He was working, uh, with Disney. I, you know what? Okay. I will, we, we will come back to this cause I will like solidify this, but I know that he was either, I don't know if it was like one of those first look deals or yeah. if he just was a Disney company guy at that, at that point, because Disney didn't like now Disney, uh, makes a lot of, you know, family friendly specifically, not that there's anything really that harsh about this movie, but you know, it, now it's a lot of really family friendly type stuff, but there have been Disney produced films in the past that are not family movies. It's not like R rated stuff, but you know what I mean? They have done things. So the idea of them making lady in the water would not have been uh, out out of the range of possibility. Do I remember them entertaining the idea of making it animated too? Am I far, am I thinking of something else? Making Lady in the Water animated, yeah, uh, that would be cool. Because like, there's a lot of it that is animated, or well, not a lot of it, but like at the beginning of it, because it's a story that he wrote his children. It's, it's a story he used to tell his kids, and he elaborated right. on it. So like, maybe I dreamt that. I don't know, but um, that's a good I dream. Look into that. I mean, I love dreams about M Night Shyamalan movies. That's <laughs> awesome. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. We just got. I, I hope I dream about the village tonight. Oh, we're getting up into the, like, okay, so the thing that we record on says bars, and we're getting up to where it says 800 bars. I don't know how that, we still, after 15 episodes, we still don't know what 800 bars means. Uh, 886 bars, 887 bars, yeah. So we should probably end this. All right. Is that good? That's fine with me. Okay, cool. All right, well, I mean, we'll see in, yeah, okay, bye. Take three. I swear, man, like we'll do all this research or we'll, you know, come up with all these things to say and not ever think of a fucking intro. Well, we, you have to think we have intros. We need to think of three intros. Yeah. And then an intro for the episode, which also we should plan right now. Say something funny. Go. And this will be the intro for our episode.
it's going to be another silent intro because I can't I can't be funny on on a whim. Sorry, guys. This is what you get. Thank you. That was awesome. <laughs> I bet you guys are excited now. Yep. So I know that one of the things that I brought up in uh, take two or take one or one, you know, earlier in this episode was that I think the advertising campaign for this movie did it dirty. Uh, and yeah, well, not necessarily. Okay. I feel like to talk about the disappointment that some had for this film, we should go back to the beginning with Shyamalan mm-hmm. and talk about the trajectory of his career at the time and the films leading up to it. Okay. Right. So he has two movies that predate this one, but his career really began with The Sixth Sense. Was that not his movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, but it was not his first movie. There were two other ones. Okay. Okay. So his career basically began with The Sixth Sense in 1999, which was a hit even by today's standards. It made close to $700 million on like a 50 or so million dollar budget, which is great, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's also nominated for six Oscars, including Damn. ones for Tony Collette and Haley Joel Osment, and then for Best Director and Screenplay and Editing and Best Picture. So Damn. That's that's pretty awesome. Big phenomenon. We love Six Sense. In two thousand, next year, we get a the superhero drama Unbreakable back when superhero movies were like not taken seriously at all. I mean, they're barely taken seriously now, but that's a topic for another conversation. <laughs> anyway, uh, it makes close to $250 million worldwide, which doesn't hold up to the anomaly that The Sixth Sense was, but for an original property, that's still pretty impressive, I think. Uh, it's received decently positive reviews, but again, nowhere near what The Sixth Sense re- received. Then we get Signs in 2002, which obviously has strong elements of an alien invasion, but is more focused on like family relationships that are present in the film and uh, the aspect of faith and losing your faith and getting it back and all that. Uh, we've watched Signs together, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. I, that was probably the first and only time I've seen that movie, but I remember enjoying it. Yeah. So it's another hit for Shyamalan. It makes $400 million mm-hmm. worldwide, gets positive reviews. You know, that, that's not too bad for a little trio of movies to establish yourself in Hollywood, you know. Mm-hmm. And M. Night was making a name for himself as someone who could jump around to different properties and still infuse the suspense into them and all the little Shyamalanisms. Still, though, there were a lot of people who were hoping for a return to the horror thriller genre. Cue The Village in 2004. Trailer gets released. Everyone is so excited. He's making a monster movie, and he's returning to the genre, which we know is like half the story. People go in expecting one thing from a promotional campaign that signified a movie drowning in horror and get a romantic drama with horror beats, you know, kind of sparsely added throughout. Yeah, yeah. So it ended up making about $250 million, but it got terrible reviews, being the first in a decade-long rotten streak for the director on Rotten Tomatoes. So he didn't make another positive film until 2015's The Visit. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I guess I didn't realize it was that big of a gap. Mm-hmm. Dang. So what What was in that gap? It was Lady in the Water. So Lady in the Water was the next movie that came out, and then The Happening. The Happening. After Earth and The Last Airbender. All gotcha. rated poorly. Plummeted. I see. Yeah. The Visit was great. Really love the visit. That's a great if you movie. haven't seen the visit, go see it. Really, really good. It wow. was like an easy. It was an easy, simple, 
but still like easy, like easily digestible and very thrilling, spooky movie. I loved it. Yeah. It felt a lot like a director trying to pick himself up by his bootstraps and get back into the game or like a young director trying to prove himself like somebody who it didn't feel like somebody who at one point was toted as the next Spielberg and got, you know, all of this acclaim. He had to self-finance it, although he still does that. But like he really, you know, had to put himself out there to be able to get the permission to be able to do something like this. Yeah, you know, and it worked well. You know, found footage movies a lot of times they don't cost a lot of money and they can make a lot of money. So if you can do it right, which I think he did, uh, actually the next thing I have is that we should watch the trailer. Uh, so I want everyone to watch the trailer. I'm gonna put a little beep here, like the little beep that we normally do to split it up, uh, because I honestly, I mean, this is this this feels very much like a horror movie. This trailer that I'm about to show you and that you guys should listen to, and we'll put it in the uh the thing we'll put it yeah, in wherever is, the what's that called the description the show notes whatever yeah. you want to call it yeah this i think the number one because i hadn't seen the trailer i don't think ever actually even really? either before watching or after watching this and i feel like the number one thing in my research that i saw uh, people were let down because they were promised a horror movie and that was not what was delivered to them. But the people who love this movie were the ones who kind of separated themselves for from it for a few years and then came back to it and realized, holy shit, this is a great movie. So yeah. I am very curious to see what exactly the trailer has promised everyone. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I'm interested. Do you have a link that you can yes, send? Yes, I just sent it to you. Oh, look, there it is. It's, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, this movie came out when I was 12, so I don't know that I even really paid much attention to the trailer back then. But uh, one thing I do know is that it's seeing it now. Oh my God. I mean, I was watching it earlier and I'm like, okay, this is a horror movie. <sighs> horror okay. movie. Okay. 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 But okay. If you were to sell this movie, what angle do you think would have been a better angle? Like what would you have shown to still no. pique people's interests. Honestly. Because the, the trailer the trailer that I just watched focused very, very heavily on the monster aspect of like yeah. that one twist. But that is that's really only like half of, of the movie. Yeah, I mean the at the end of the day, the people in marketing and the advertisers' jobs and like the people who like cut the trailers' jobs are to get people into see the movie. Right. So if they, you know, see an angle, it's, this is not necessarily false advertising because it's all in the movie. You know what I mean? Right, it's right, just it only right. showed you a bit of it. Um, like this does not account for a lot of the more emotional dramatic beats, which I guess maybe I would say uh, now I think, you know, because it backfired on the film so heavily – I would say, you know, maybe if they just kind of peppered in maybe a little bit more of the emotional stuff or even just the love story between her and Lucius. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. I, I don't know. So I can understand why people were upset about it, right? But, like, yeah, especially when you see that Shyamalan didn't return to horror for another four movies. <laughs> for me, though, what so many disapprove of is one of my favorite aspects of the film the overall subversion of your expectations. Like sure. The sixth sense and unbreakable have mind blowing iconic twists at the end of them. But even with these twists beginning to end, they are still respectively about a 
man helping a boy deal with the ability to see dead people and a man coming to terms with the fact that he may in fact have a superpower. Like, by the end of the village, most everything you know about that core premise has been revealed to be a lie. And while the more I think about it, the more I can understand why some find that hollow, like, I think it just ties right back into two of the film's main themes, the first of which is expectation, like the expectation that the Walker girls both have for Lucius, the expectation that the community as a whole has for the evils in the woods and beyond them, like that idea that a lot of times your expectations are not like at the end of the movie. I mean, she does, she finds kindness. She finds everybody thinks that like, this is some evil place, but she finds like someone who's willing to help her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and then the second one being the theme of like a utilitarian lie or deception, like the idea that lies told to the characters in the film were meant to protect them and serve the greater good. And I feel that the lies that we were told as an audience were for the betterment of our enjoyment of the film. <laughs> and while I guess in quotation marks that anyone has the right to resent the fact that we were lied to for an hour and a half, I just really like applaud that bold of a decision making. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I know people say that the they see these two twists coming I saw that a lot too. A lot of people were like, oh, I saw the twist coming. I knew about it. I so genuinely don't see how someone could though. Like the boxes that each elder has in their home definitely suggests that there's like some sort of mystery as to why they settled in Covington Woods. But for someone to just automatically assume that the creatures, which by the way, had already appeared on screen were suddenly not real, it doesn't make sense to me that you would that you would come to that conclusion. Especially not that like, hey, uh, that gravestone at the beginning that said this takes place in the 19th century. No, it actually is modern day. Like, yeah. Like, I don't see how you could see that coming. And and I know that the best people say like the best type of twists are ones that like you are right in front of you. Yeah. But and yeah. then this is just a bold lie. You know what I mean? This is a lie. But like the characters are being lied to, so it makes sense for us to feel lied to as well. You know what I mean? Mm. Like it is this whole community is built on a lie, but um, is it a utilitarian lie? Is it serving the greater good? It's meant to protect. Forgive us our silly lies, Ivy. They were not meant to harm. Mm. I also want to talk about the theme of fear in this movie. Like fear is something that seems to drive nearly everyone in this film, save for Ivy and Lucius. Like Obviously, there's the overarching sense of terror from the creatures in the woods, and plus, like, the elders are afraid of the outside world and the pain that comes from living in it. On the other hand, Lucius and Ivy are emboldened by their love for one another. Sure, the entire community is hiding from the outside world, but Ivy and Lucius don't know that. Time and time again in this movie, they prove their courage. And I think what this movie is saying about that is that there is no real way to hide from what scares you forever. Like eventually you have to face it. And ideally it would be with bravery and love and the hope of a better life afterwards. Like, what do you think? I mean, is it rational to recluse like this? I like, I know neither of us have ever suffered loss on that scale or by those means, but what do you think about the idea that you'd be so afraid to, to face the pain of the world that you would just cut yourself off completely from it? I don't think so. Because if this movie did anything, it sort of outlined that you can't really run away from yeah. 
like maybe seclude myself in my home and just never go outside or anything. But I, I don't think I would. That's my kind of thing. Like my, my immediate thought was like, I could see myself getting to a point where like, I mean, I, w- I would not want to, but like if, if I felt so beaten down or, or so traumatized by something that had happened, uh, I could see myself being a recluse in modern day, but like these people are like, oh, let's go back to the 19th century where there's no electricity. I mean, yeah, let's seclude ourselves and regress a whole century. Yeah, like that's yeah, it's it, it was interesting. Yeah, I don't know. So my immediate thought was like I was going to say during this like, hey, let's go visit where they shot this movie because we've both been to Pennsylvania together a couple of times. And I know that you used to live there. Um, like, let's go, let's go find this place. So I did a little research, and it's literally a field in a town called Chad's Ford, Pennsylvania. <laughs> and they built the entire set in eleven weeks. Like, it's the all of it was built. It wasn't like a place they found. Just an entire like a big field. Like the houses, yeah. And everything? They built it in wow. eleven weeks. Shot the movie, tore it down. So it's just a field. Would you still come with me to stand in the field? I would. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I want to. I want to. And it's allowed if we're not trespassing. Fuck trespassing. Whatever. Um. Well. Okay. Then no. <laughs> Just be like, I'm sorry, sir. We can't read. <laughs> uh, another thing I want to bring up is the discussion about color. Uh, <laughs> okay. You told me that you also brought this up, so we can talk about it. Basically, she brings it up three times: twice to Lucius, uh, one at the at Resting Rock, one outside when they're having their like love conversation. Um, You're referencing when she can see colors. She yes, can see she's she's blind, but she can tell when certain people are around because certain people give off a color. Mm-hmm. She says it one more time when she's crying to her father that she can't see Lucius's color when he's like on the floor be, having been stabbed. Uh, so I wanted to figure out what that color was, or at least take the best guess that I could at it. I think we have similar notes here. This will be okay. Cool. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, so like I immediately went to the happiest place on earth, Reddit. (laughs) So people on Reddit said red because that's the color of the fervent love that he has for her and she, him, but like that red is, yeah, red is like the danger color in that community. Yeah. That, that doesn't make any sense at all. So I don't think that her mind would associate him with that unless maybe like it's about like fear and maybe she's scared by how much she loves him you know what i mean or something like that mm-hmm. uh but i was like i don't know and my thought was like okay well using that logic maybe it's yellow because yellow probably represents like safety and comfort in ivy's comfort, head yeah. yeah i looked and i couldn't find anything on whether or not blind people ever actually experienced this phenomenon so i'm thinking okay if she can see colors then maybe she can like read people's auras and stuff and obviously i don't know shit about <laughs> Auras. So I went looking online to to uh, see what each color meant, and the one that I thought most aptly applied to Lucius was blue because it refers to a strong intuition, being calm in a crisis, and having others lean on you for support. So I feel like that really fit because like Lucius is the one that I think his name is Fenton. It's um Michael Pitt. Uh, the he he like asks him to come up and sit with him during his watch when he's up in the tower. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's obviously very calm and doesn't like freak out and lose his cool very easily. Like, he's he's not, he's fearless. So, I felt, I felt like that kind of fit, but I genuinely think it's one of those like what's in the suitcase things. Wow. Okay. Uh, I have a very different answer for that question. Um, I will link the source that I got this information from. It was a really, really cool video. 
Um, but someone argued that Lucius's color is either like it's like just light in general. Uh, there's so many scenes that point to this. If you if you pay attention, if you watch this movie again, pay attention to how he is framed in relationship to a light source. Uh, it's it's everywhere. Uh, there's the intimate scene between him and Ivy on the porch. There's like a fog in the background and it's lit up. And it's, it literally looks like this line of white light that's sort of connecting both of their heads. And he's almost always next to or framed along with a source of light, be it by like a window. Uh, I think when he's lying in bed, he kind of has this like window shining down on him and it's like reflecting off his pillow and he has this like halo thing. Uh, and I didn't look this up, but apparently according to this video, Lucius means light, brightness, or to shine. Um, so... That's my take on it. Maybe he just sort of has this glowing aura that's not really a specific color, but maybe that sort of lights the way for Ivy that helps her see. That's how that's I thought that was a an interesting take. Yeah, no, I, I like that a lot. I do. I mean, like, do you but do you not think that's probably just there for us to speculate on? Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There is this theme of empty chairs. There's so many empty chairs in this movie. The, and the the video that I watched had this theory that like an empty chair is first shown when Ivy is in the door frame with Noah. Yeah. When she was like, you need to go to timeout, uh, this like no hitting. And they have that moment where she's like, take, let's take an oath right now. You're not going to hit anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, Just stab. Uh, she's, <laughs> uh, she's telling him that uh, she won't punish him if he makes an oath. And this video said that the empty chair there sort of could represent a lack of discipline. It was sort of like, he's not in that chair. He's not really learning his lesson. So he kind of can go off and sort of do these bad things. So anytime the village is sort of tormented by Noah, we're shown an empty chair. There's this, the wedding scene or not the wedding. Was it a wedding? Yeah, it was a wedding. Uh, when everyone kind of had to evacuate, there were empty chairs left there. Um, I think right before or right after, um, the stabbing, the, there was like an empty chair in the field. Clearly this was not done on accident. Oh, there yeah. has to be something up with these empty chairs. A good filmmaker plans out that stuff and it's none of it's left a chance. As far as that scene, that scene in particular, when they're leaving the wedding and you see the, the chairs, by that logic, that kind of answers the one question I still have about this movie. I mean, aside from the color thing, but I don't think that it'll ever get answered. <laughs> They don't ever make it clear who's the one skinning those animals. However, I like I'm just led to believe that it's it's Noah because he's Noah. the one that does actually wind up going out there and acting like one of these creatures. Right. And that works out fine for me. They don't ever really explain that. You know, when when you the empty chairs. No, no, no. Oh, no, no. You mean the skinning of the animals? Yeah, yeah because yeah. it's like that's the only thing that's left up when you find out that the, these creatures are not real. It's like, well, these, right. the, that's the only thing that the elders are genuinely to each other reacting about. Yeah. Right. And that's that's watching this again. I was like, okay, I had this idea in my head that these creatures were them, but now this is happening. Maybe I was wrong. And I kind of had this like confusion part. And I think I even stopped the movie and asked you about it. Yeah. And that's um, what's so great though, because they are able to layer in like a – it's, it's like another a red, another way to fool you. Yeah, it's yeah. like a red herring of, of something where it's like, okay, Sigourney Weaver and William Hurt are both confused right now. Like, right, you right. know, if you were if you had in their head, like they're genuinely confused and they're by themselves. So if you had the idea, okay, maybe they're behind something. Well, doesn't seem like it right now. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. So I think, and also, and like to kind of tie up this whole thing in a nice ribbon, um, like when he does stab Lucius and he is remorseful and he's crying and he has blood on his hands, he's sitting in a rocking chair. So like, it's sort of like the deed is done. He kind of learned his lesson. He kind of realizing this is bad. Like this is a bad thing. Yeah. So I'm kind of wrapping my stuff up soon. Uh, we're about to get into the listener feedback that we got. Uh, but I just wanted to say that this is the film that got James Newton Howard, his sixth Oscar nomination. Oh my God. And I bring it up solely because he wrote my all time favorite piece of music for this movie. It's called the gravel road and it is so beautiful and it makes me want to cry. So let's move on. (laughs) I will say in my research, there were a lot of mentions about the soundtrack to this movie and it is really incredible. It's a great, great soundtrack score. I should say I saw more than once that this film represented something about the Iraq war. I won't go too much into detail, but an article that I read said that this film is quote, an early attempt to talk granted in veiled metaphorical terms about the psychological impulses that drove the United States into Iraq in early 2003. It's about the desire for security versus its impossibility. I, I didn't look too much into this, um, but I think it's certainly interesting. I think that's definitely something that I might look into later. I love that certain things occur to some people sometimes, you know what I mean? Like they would (laughs) watch this movie and be like, ah, I mean, I guess it did come out in 2004. So it was around Around that time. time. Yeah. Yep. Um, I love this movie because I think it's a lot of things in one. I think it is definitely, it has horror elements. It's definitely a thriller, but in its entirety, it's like, it's a, it's a horror romance. Yeah. Has that ever happened before? Like, I can't think of a romantic horror movie. Um, I mean, there are movies with romantic, there are horror movies with romantic elements, but like at this, at the base, this movie is about Ivy trying to save the love of her life. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm sure that there are none that are like specifically coming to mind. Um, That might be something that you guys can send us. Like, I'll probably think of something after we stop this, but I do appreciate the juxtaposition of themes that don't necessarily always get uh, played together. Mm-hmm. And nothing is straight up coming to mind that like is almost a love story first and it has a scary. Yeah. It's, but like, I think that's certainly kudos to, to M night for sure. Yeah. But also like, I think this movie kind of painted uh, the story out to be that Lucius was going to be the hero. He was always going to be the one who was going to, he was going to leave and he was going to brave the outside yes. to try and get medicine for everyone. And it wasn't him. He was not the protagonist. The protagonist was a disabled female. Mm-hmm. It was brilliant. It was so, so great. Um, and she did such a great job. And like, uh, just her character in general is just incredible. Um, and then my last point was just, uh, we know that M. Night is all about um, themes and motifs and patterns and stuff like empty chairs and reflections. Um, this one had a lot of shots of people's backs, which is not typically done when you're trying to convey someone's emotion. Yeah. When you want to convey emotion in a conversation, you get in on the character's face. The face is a complete, it's, it's, it's the communication um, that gets the emotion across. But this one, especially when they were on the porch, it's shot from behind them. 
And I kind of liked this because it sort of helped us empathize with Ivy. It sort of made us rely on our other senses to understand and capture emotion from a scene without directly looking at their faces. I just thought that that's was That's really, yeah, that, that's awesome. That's a great yeah. point. And that was, that was the last of my points. We can move on now if you'd like. Oh, okay. Before I talk about the quotes, uh, I want to bring up one, uh, one or two other points. So logistically... Uh, I was reading that the uh, the likelihood of something like this actually being able to happen in real life, even though the, this is the, like the one in my Shyamalan movie that there really is nothing supernatural about it, it still is unlikely because not only would someone, no matter really how rich they are, not really be able to purchase a wildlife reserve. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Uh, they're paid for by taxpayers and they're, they're normally owned by like the government or... I think um, that's the point of preserving yeah a wildlife reserve yeah. so that people don't touch people it. Can't buy, yeah so like the, the likelihood of someone actually being able to buy it i mean sure you could probably get around that but like then uh somebody also brought up the fact that a no-fly zone the the likelihood of them being able to literally have no one be able to fly over is like pretty much impossible because <laughs> even in no-fly zones that are real they are often accidentally flown into by civilian aircrafts so <laughs> you know what i mean like the likelihood of someone yeah. not knowing like the the person that was writing was like unless there was like a squadron of jets that was always <laughs> up there ready to shoot down Jeez. you know planes that were flying by like the likelihood of you them seeing I... a plane in the sky uh is probably pretty likely Okay, so final thing before we do the listener feedback. I asked you to come up with the your favorite line in the movie because I have lots, but I picked one. Um, and what did you do? Um, so this is a segment that uh, I like to call, tell us your favorite, what is your favorite line from the movie? Only Nick. I don't have one. Yeah. I don't have one. I do... I, it's not to say that I don't like lines from this movie. It's just that I did not know that we were doing this until after we saw the movie, and I would not be able to give you an accurate favorite without rewatching the whole movie, and I just don't have time for that right now. He has not had time for you guys, so if, if you guys are looking <laughs> forward to... You literally told me this, like, three hours ago. On the way home from, from work. Like, he, yeah. he, I was like, uh, pick, a, pick a quote from this movie, because so, we're going to talk about it. So this week, I do not have one. However, moving forward, I will be sure to pay attention to the movie so that I can pick. Not that I don't pay attention to the movie. Pay attention to the movie in this specific way so I can pick and remember my favorite line. That being said, what is your favorite line? Yeah, I'm just holding down the fort all by myself this week. That's fine. Um, (laughs) So it's basically like when they are sitting there on the porch and ivy says when we are married will you dance with me i find dancing very agreeable and he's like silent she's like why can you not say what is in your head and he's like why can you not stop saying what is in yours why must you lead when i want to lead if i want to dance i will ask you to dance if i want to speak i will open my mouth and speak everyone is forever plaguing me to speak further why what good is it to tell you that you are in my every thought from the time i wake what good can come from my saying that i sometimes cannot think clearly or do my work properly what gain can run 
summarize of my telling you that the only time I feel fear as others do is when I think of you in harm. That is why I am on this porch, Ivy Walker. I fear for your safety before all others. And yes, I will dance with you on our wedding night. And I'm like, oh my God. Like my heart melted when I was 12 years old. What a complex way to present dialogue. Because the first couple lines... It's like, oh shit, like this guy is like, mad at her. Yeah. He's like, oh, he's like really frustrated at her. Like, let's, okay. But then it's, it kind of like blossoms into this beautiful. It's like, yes, of course we're going to get married. Of course I love you. Of course you're my soulmate. Like, oh my Duh. God, Lucius. Yeah. It's a good one. Okay. So, yes, we asked you all uh, to give us your thoughts on this movie, and we wanted to talk to you about it. So we're going to read your stuff on the air. Let's do it. So first off, our friend Stephanie said, Honestly, I really do like this movie. I remember watching it in the theater, and I figured out the end about 20 minutes into the movie. No idea how. we got to talk about this, Stephanie. <laughs> I did not understand how you did that. Uh, however, I still enjoyed it. I kind of hate that the monsters aren't actual monsters. It would have been better if they'd have been real. In that same thread... Uh, Our friend Jake says, I really liked this one up until the reveal, and then it fell apart for me. All the magic, the mystery, the terror, and the suspense was completely gone at that point. And I responded, were you not at all impressed by the twists, though? And Jake responded, no, not at all. I thought it cheapened the whole movie, and then it became a parody of itself. The entire premise became a joke, similar to my issue with Lady in the Water. And then Stephanie throws a curveball and is like, I adore Lady in the Water. That one oh, I think no. is strong all the way through, unlike most of his movies. I was like, oh, girl, no. we need to watch that movie together because I remember loving it at the beginning. And then like, not at the beginning, I guess at the beginning of my life. Uh, I remember loving it when I was younger. And now I'm like, whoa, like what is going yeah. on here? I feel like we've talked shit about Lady in the Water in this podcast, yeah, Stephanie. I apologize. <laughs> no, I, but I'm, I would love to actually hear your thoughts, Stephanie, on why you love Lady in the Water. Uh, yeah. I don't necessarily see us doing that that one, but um, you know, as a, as a whole episode. But I would love to talk to you about it. Um, moving on. CC me in that yeah. in that conversation. <laughs> I'm curious as well. So, um, uh, Mallory, my sister. Uh, said that she loved the fact that there were two twists in it that mm-hmm. that like yep. it knocks you in the face with one of them and then oh there's another one and it honestly makes you feel like you need to go back and watch the the movie again. Mm-hmm. Um, but she also said that it was missing a, a '90s girl pop group. She needed more. <laughs> My sister is devoted to getting us to do the movie Spice World. Uh, does if anybody would like us to do the movie Spice World for don't this podcast, this. <laughs> I want to do it, but I don't think Jordan uh, thinks that it will be a good enough episode. Let's make that episode next week so we can lay this joke to rest. <laughs> Let's put this joke to bed. <laughs> we have our next several episodes already decided, but I would I will do it as se- the second that you actually commit to it because we have gone back and forth over this a lot. I just want to get it out of the way at this point. <laughs> I've never seen it. I can't imagine that I could dissect Spice World. I don't think I could talk about it for an hour, but... Who knows? I think I can talk Maybe. about it for about four hours, so don't worry. Okay, well then it'll just be your episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So um, uh, one of our friends at the Film Rant podcast said, I appreciate The Village so much after rewatching as an adult. As a kid, the twist was a letdown, but now I see how impactful it really is. The movie is suspenseful, unconventional, and unpredictable. Shyamalan in his prime, four point five out of five, which I completely agree with. Congratulations! <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't, I did never see the twist as a letdown, but it's beautiful, and I love a four point five. A, a nine out of ten is killer for that. That's, Thank you, Film Rant. We appreciate that. That seems to be like ninety percent of the reviews that I've seen about this movie is didn't like it when it came out, loved it after I gave it some time. So if you're listening to this and you've made it this far and you're still not sure that you love this movie, go watch it again. Guarantee you're going to love it or your money back. Just do it. Yeah. Just do it. Absolutely. Good point. So my friend, Samantha, uh, sent me like an essay, (laughs) a short (laughs) book about this. All great things. Like I ever I feel like anytime I interact with Samantha, she is just um You will learn some stuff. You, I literally and she's gonna hit me for this, uh, but like literally I learn something every single time I we cross paths. She wrote a whole bunch of stuff, which is really, really awesome stuff, but I'm gonna try and narrow it down the best that I can. Um and I kind of divvied it up into into points and I'm gonna read some of them, the ones that I thought were conversation worthy. Sure, sure. I mean, the whole thing was conversation worthy, but these were the the hard hitters. Cool. Um, She talks about how uh, clearly fear is a tool as motivation, as a game, and as a means to control. Uh, It's a theme and it's how it can keep people in line with what is familiar and safe and trusting authority, an authority that makes decisions on everyone's behalf. But is their authority legitimate if they are the only ones that are in on the big secret. They use the lie they've established to maintain that power, and the more that power is threatened, the more extreme lengths they must go to in order to perpetuate that lie, even if it means attacking their own kind they're supposedly trying to keep safe. For society to be truly democratic, informed citizens have to participate in the decisions. You can't have one group in power censoring the facts to them like they are children. In this case, you don't want anyone to know about the modern world because they're scared of it and what they think is morally corrosive, which in itself is ironic. But does that belief give them the right to decide that for their kids? Does it justify the lying? Is it defensible to deny them a chance to decide for themselves when it's for their own good? The whole concept makes you ask if retreating from society is really better. At the end, when Ivy gets help from one of the wildlife refugee rangers, we see another ranger reading a paper filled with tragic headlines. Hiding from the world doesn't actually improve anything. It's just a deliberate collective delusion. And the opportunity to indulge in that delusion is only for the privileged. Without the money and influence to buy the land and get the wildlife refuge status passed and declare a no-fly zone and employ security staff, they'd have to live in the ugly, scary world with the rest of us. Um, It was also inevitable that they'd have to confess the farce eventually. Who would continue to keep the fear alive by staging drills to keep the lie feeling authentic? Does this make them monsters even without the costumes? Uh, There's a reason that people don't live that way anymore. That life also had its problems. They comfort themselves about their noble experiment, but I don't see how the deaths of their children from minor infections are less sensible than gun violence. So she brings up a lot of this stuff. That's such says, a great point. Yeah, it's like it's. It, she brings up these sort of like robust arguments against the society uh, and the the problems in practicing, you know, this kind of lifestyle. Yeah, I like that she took an angle of like, regardless of whether or not maybe the movie hits 
on whatever level for her. She went in and was like, does this actually make sense as a societal right. setup? And you're right. Like this to me feels a lot like the anti-vaxxing thing or something like keeping your kids from one thing and subjecting them to a lot worse stuff. Oh, right. Like, that can be right. like all these parents are making all of these decisions for all of these kids. And it's like you're not only deciding how they're raised but just how they're going to live their life forever. You know? Right. Exactly. And that, exactly. that is kind of monstrous. Mm-hmm. She says she thinks it's one of the best horror films she's ever seen. Uh, she likes that it doesn't really rely on like gotcha scary moments. I knew I liked Samantha. <laughs> I do too. Uh, she says it raises all these fundamental questions about society. What makes it good? How do we improve it? And how do we balance tradition with progress? And to what extent can we really trust each other? It makes the ground under your feet feel less solid, which is its own existential kind of terrifying, which it is. It is completely terrifying. And she sent me some links as well that I'll definitely put in the show notes. Um, thank you. Thank you. Yes. On this note, though, uh, we love your feedback. We will read every single bit that you send us. But for sharing it on the podcast, we obviously, you know, have limited time. Um We'd like to, we would definitely try to paraphrase as best we can. So, yeah, so we appreciate it. But if you send us a book, we can't read it all. I mean, we're going to read it all. We can't read it all out loud on this out podcast. Loud. Right. Uh, we love feedback. We will definitely uh, try to include as much as we can, though. Um, yes. Thank you for all of your submissions. I think and feedback. everybody did really good. I, I like everybody's points a lot. I like this idea because a lot of times we will really like a movie, both really agree, and then it doesn't necessarily present an alternative viewpoint. We like a lot of the same things in movies, so there's not always a differing viewpoint. At the end of the day, if we love a movie, we're going to talk about how much we love that movie. So it's cool to to see that like certain people didn't like it and to talk about those ideas as well. I mean, Jake saying that all of the, you know, the magic is gone, it, it kind of goes back to my point. I don't even know if it made the episode. This is the first movie in Shyamalan's repertoire that doesn't say, hey, you need to believe in the fantastical. It actually sets you up to believe in the fantastical and pulls the rug out from underneath you, whereas the other three movies are literally about ghosts and superheroes and, and aliens, aliens. You know what I yeah, mean? And yeah. those are all very – there's so much more than what you might know. But in this movie, what is so terrifying about it is not the monsters, uh, but is the fact that you you see this girl climb over a fence at the end, and suddenly it's in modern day, and the fact that everything that she knows is a lie, and it's just earth-shattering. Could not agree more. I, it's beautiful, beautiful film. A-plus from me. A-plus from me, too. You know what we should have done? What should we have done? Take three. We should have talked about like signs or six cents or something or the happening because that would have been a good twist so oh that would have been like suddenly this is a <laughs> oh my god okay let's start over <laughs> so i wound up having to cut my 10 minute long rant about how bad the happening is because we have run out of time but i will say that it is truly terrible and you should watch it immediately Actually, scratch that. You should watch it after you listen to all our other episodes on Take3AMP.com. That's Take3AMP.com. 
We hope that you've enjoyed the 15th episode of Take 3, a movie podcast. It was produced and edited by Jordan Sato and Nicholas Crawford. We appreciate all of your support and hope that you will continue to spread the word about us on social media as well as leave us a review on iTunes. Our hashtag is Take3AMP. And uh, if you really want to support us, you should get that as a tattoo. Okay, bye everybody.